Father, I thank you for today that we can be refreshed by you. And that you said when you do this, when you take partake of this, you do this in remembrance of me. Lord, help us never to forget the sacrifice that you made and the price that you paid for us and become indifferent towards you in our life. But God, may we always be filled with you. May we come to the table realizing that your mercies are new every day and that you give to us and you pour out in us and that you fill us up so that we can be overflowing with your presence in our life. Lord, maybe there's someone here today that thought it was too late and they're just going to go through life in existence. Lord, I pray that, God, you would capture them and I thank you that you wrap us Wrap us up with your cords of love. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. If we can have our young people go off to Children's Church, Miss Kelsey's going to have a beautiful class for you today. As we are diving in today, we continue. By the way, wasn't that just such a neat Fourth uh, of July celebration last weekend, Rod and Sandra? That was awesome. By the way, Rod today, I got to give it up to him because I was uh, texting and calling him at eight o'clock today when Brad with those pictures and saying, "Hey, Rod, I've got more pictures." So Brad was sending him off as quickly as he could, and I'm like, "Oh no!" So Rod, thank you for uh, making that happen. Um, so that's pretty great. You have no idea what goes on behind the scenes here, so uh, we just we just love and appreciate that. So um, today we're going to continue back on to the portraits of uh, the church and these seven churches that that Jesus Christ was speaking to. Um, there was only one that he didn't have a rebuke for. The rest of them, um, God had a sound, swift kick in the pants. Turn us around and say, sometimes we need a kick in the pants. So today is not going to be chubby bunnies. Unfortunately, it's going to be another hard warning for the church. And for us evangelicals here in America, I'm going to preach this till I'm blue in the face. Judgment doesn't come to the world first. It comes to where first? So we can get mad at everything going on. But we must peer inside of us and what's going on in the American Western Church abroad. So this is not going to be an easy message. And I sat there, and i got to tell you, preparing this message, just like I've done with these others, some come easy and some come hard. Some I'm really grinding through it. And others are fun. You know, it's okay to have fun sometimes, right? But ultimately, God has to get glory and His truth has to be spoken. And there's love and truth. And so we can't be ignorant of God's Word and the history of the church and where it's gone. So these seven churches that Christ is speaking to, we're going to jump into... The church of Thyatira. I want to say Thyatira. Thyatira. Is a, a church a fellowship there coming along, doing some great things as we'll read here. But we're going to start in Revelation chapter 2, starting with verse 18. I read out of New Living Translation. If you have your electronic devices, you can call that up. And I think we have this rationale, which is also poorly educated, of an Old Testament God and a New Testament God. And what I mean by that is we see that Old Testament God that, you know, he's smiting everyone and everyone's dying and he's judging and doing this. And we see this 
new type of God in the New Testament where he just lets us do whatever we want and live how we want. But yet, when Christ returns, he's going to judge the nations. He's not coming as baby Jesus. He's coming as King Judge Jesus. And we're going to read directly in red later here how Jesus presents himself to this church in Thyatira. So put your seatbelts on. Here we go. Are you ready? Write this letter to the angel of the church in Thyatira. This is the message from the Son of God. And who's the Son of God? Okay, good. Whose eyes are like flames of fire, whose feet are like polished bronze. I know all the things you do. I've seen your love and your faith and your service and your patient endurance. And I can see your constant improvement in all of these things. Sounds good, right? But, everyone say but. I have this complaint against you. You are permitting that woman, that Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet to lead my servants astray. She teaches them to commit sexual sin and to eat food offered to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she does not want to turn away from her immorality. Therefore, I will throw her on a bed of suffering, and those who commit adultery with her will suffer greatly unless they repent and turn away from their evil deeds. I will strike her children dead, and then all the churches will know that I am the one who searches out the thoughts and intentions of every person, and I will give to each of you whatever you deserve. Wow. Can you imagine the church... Christ writing this letter to us right now. He says this, But I also have a message for the rest of you in Thyatira, who have not followed the false teachings, deeper truths, as they call them, depths of Satan, actually. I will ask nothing more of you, except that you hold tightly to what you have until I come. To all who are victorious, who obey me to the very end, to them I will give authority over all the nations, and they will rule the nations with an iron rod and smash them like clay pots. They will have the same authority I received from my Father, and I will also give them the morning sun. And by the way, the morning sun is Jesus Christ. Anyone who hear, have, with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. And I read that, and I have to sit there and I go, Lord, what on earth do I say here? What on earth do I preach? And I start to look now, and this is where you have to be a student of God's Word. And it's really simple. You don't have to go to the school of theologians in order to dive deeper into God's Word. Can I get a hearty amen there? If you've excused yourself from diving deeper into God's Word because you maybe don't know this theological presupposition or that, you can open up a concordance, you can open up the Bible, you can get into your footnotes. By the way, my Bible has these footnotes, it has little things. I challenge you to get a Bible that's actually a study Bible that will give you things and you can read words and phrases and know what the Hebrew and Greek is. Every one of us can do that. I told you before, I hate reading. I have to read because I have to read. Anyways, that had nothing to do with this. <laughs> Dealing with compromise, the church in Thyatira had an issue with compromise. They let this lady, whoever it was, come in there as prophetess to speak these things into the church, and it brought sexual immorality into the church. Thyatira was doing great things. He starts out with, hey, I know you're doing great things. In fact, you have a constant improvement of these things. So they were a bustling church. Thyatira was a really good town. They were into textiles. In fact, in Acts, 
We notice that they had a special dye that was produced that they had there that was like a scarlet dye, almost purple, that they created in this particular town. It was a bustling town. It had a lot of trade guilds, and we'll go into that in a little bit. But this particular church was a buzzing church. How many of you know you like that little pat on the back saying, you're doing good and you're improving? That sounds good, right? But then God says, now wait a minute. I see all this energy and everything going on, but I have this charge against you. You're allowing these concepts that are of the world into the church, and you're basically putting a stamp of approval on it, and you're not addressing it. You're not speaking to it. Can I start by saying this to all of our family in here? Turn to someone and say, you're part of my family. You're part of my family. So we're going to have a family meeting today. Love family meetings, don't you? Let me declare this to all of you and remind you of this. That you are not of this world. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are to not associate with this world. What we've done in the church is we've tried to make things as ecumenical as possible to make sure that everyone feels comfortable. Do you know what my prayer is? Honestly, if an unbeliever walks into this church, I pray two things happen. They feel comfortable because they notice the love and the compassion that people have, but I pray that they'll feel uncomfortable because it's different than what they've been hearing. This message of the cross does not coincide with the messages of the world. Is that right? Am I, am I clear there? So we can't blend the two and come up with this alternative blend that God has for us. You are not of this world. When you come to Christ, you are different. You are other. You are an alien. You are to walk around this world feeling a little uncomfortable with where you are. And we've gotten too comfortable. We've gotten way too comfortable. Way too comfortable with our surroundings. Francis Chan writes, Over the past decade, it's been refreshing to see Christians have a greater awareness of people's thoughts and feelings. How many love people's feelings that talk about our feelings? Rather than quickly judging and labeling people, they take time to listen to their stories and consider their hurts and their desires. And this is a good thing. In doing so, however, many have made a damning mistake. They have lost sight of God's thoughts and desires. And their compassion for people, they have ignored the holiness of God. They have forgotten what God feels about an issue dwarfs what any human feels, or in that case, every human feels. Romans 3, 4 says, Let God be true, though everyone were a liar. Let God be true. Let God's word be true. In an effort to be sensitive to others, he writes, we often lose sight of the truth. When we do this, we no longer help people, but we damn them. True compassion takes into account far more than what a person feels today. It takes into account what he or she will feel on Judgment Day. What some do in the name of being open-minded and compassionate is acutely done out of self-love and cowardice. We want to be accepted, so we listen and coddle, but we refuse to rebuke. If that is love, then the prophets and the apostles and Jesus were the most unloving people who walked on the planet. On the contrary, Jesus loved so deeply that he was willing to suffer a lifetime of rejection. 
He suffered from speaking truth, showing us that true love is often rejected. Turn real quick to 1 Timothy chapter 4. How many of you know if you truly love someone, you'll speak truth in love, won't you? And I can hear your feelings and your story about situations and try to get an understanding about something, but it comes back down to the hard truth that what is God's will concerning this issue we're even talking about? What is God's will concerning this topic? How do we just rightly divide the word of truth and speak truth to someone? I can talk about someone's feelings all day long and how they feel, and they can be really passionate about this topic or this issue. But the minute that we come and start addressing it, if it's a sin to God, then it's got to be a sin to us. 1 Timothy 4, verses 1 through 5. We've got to understand the context in which we live. The sons of Issachar understood the times they lived. They discerned the times in which they lived. 1 Timothy 4, verses 1 through 5 says, Now the Holy Spirit tells us clearly that in the last times, some will turn away from true faith. They will follow deceptive spirits and teachings that come from demons. These people are hypocrites and liars, and their consciences are dead. They will say it is wrong to be married and wrong to eat certain foods, but God created these foods to be eaten with thanks. By faithful people who know the truth, since God created, or, or, since everything God created is good, we should not reject anything but receive it with thanks. For we know it is made acceptable by the word of God in prayer. It's an amazing thing that God does in all of our hearts as we come into the context of allowing God and his truth to speak to us. The Bible also says this in Timothy, that the time is coming when they will look for teachers that will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. We've all heard that verse, but I think we're getting to that place now in the church where we kind of go to places that will basically back up what I feel, as opposed to backing up the truth of God's Word and having a spirit. You know, when I come to the cross... I don't want a greater version of Steve Lapp. I want Steve to die. Let God increase and let Steve Lapp decrease today. Amen. And if you're thinking that you're to come to church and we're to prop you up and advance you, we are not to do that. We are here to advance God's kingdom and His purpose. We are to decrease. Amen. We are. We're to die. But I feel about this, and I feel, oh no, but look at Johnny, and look at this, and look, no, it's wrong. And everything now is throwaway. When I'm speaking to people, and when I'm confronted with an issue or a topic, here's how Steve Lapp has to play it out. I get your feelings, and I'm trying to get into your context and kind of become all things to all people and basically come alongside of you. And, to, you know, the Bible says to weep with those who weep and mourn with those who mourn. So I get that coming alongside. But if someone says, dot, 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 Pastor Steve, what do you think about this topic or this issue? I am inclined to give them the Word of God, whether I like to or not. Let me tell you something. There's been many Sundays where I'm like, and you're going to have to pray extra hard for me because it's going to be a hard one this weekend. <laughs> I don't want to say it. I don't want to say it because I want people to like me too. Everybody, doesn't everybody want to be liked in this place today? 
But when I'm speaking to people, I have to confront them on the issues. By the way, do your convictions cause you to stand out from the world at all? Does your Christian faith cause you to even be separated at all from the world? You know, when they saw Jesus and when they saw who he was and what he was doing, they knew something was different, that he didn't teach the way the Pharisees did. He had authority with them. He was different than them. The religious people, they had all sorts of different things, and God came to break through the systems that were in place. But he had conviction, and he had courage in this. Do you have convictions in your life that cause you to stand out at all from this world? In other words, do your daily choices, how you treat your neighbor, your loved ones, how you speak, what you do, your actions when you're under pressure, are your actions different than this world? Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Amen. C.S. Lewis wrote, if you read history, you will find that the Christians who did the most for this world were just those who thought most of the next. The apostles themselves who set on foot the conversion of the Roman Empire, the great men who built up the Middle Ages, the English evangelicals who abolished the slave trade, all left their mark on earth precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. Aim at heaven and you'll get earth thrown in it. Aim at earth and you will get neither, C.S. Lewis writes. I think that's important for us to understand that if our aim is to continue having this better life and get the next white picket fence up and have everything perfect together for our jobs and our situation in these last days, we are going to lose out on what God has for us. But if our aim is to glorify God and to pursue God just like Abraham and Moses as they went to countries that they had solved, not with their own eyes, but with a vision from heaven, then we will see something happen and God will give us territory that we've never had before. Amen. You are not lost on planet Earth, folks. You are full of vision. You are redeemed. You're not wandering out aimlessly. No, God has purpose for you. He has planted you in your job. He has planted in that, by the way, awesome with Jen. Let's give it up to the Lord again. He plants you in your jobs. He plants you with your family. He plants you with the people around you. He plants you in your church. God has you secure. And if your will is to honor God and your motivation is to serve Him... This isn't about you being on some tightrope and the next misstep you have, you slip and fall away from God. God has you in His hand. He will not let you go. Amen. 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 But Thyatira was a commercial city with trade guilds that you would have to join. And these trade guilds, they would offer idolatrous feasts and orgies for each of its patron deities. In other words, what would happen is, like, let's say you were a carpenter. Well, you would be a part of this guild or union. So if you're a Christian carpenter, you're required. Somebody got an email since you said, hey, we're having a party this weekend. Come on out here. It's going to be a big orgy, big, great celebration. we got this deity that we're going to celebrate. And they put it on a shield or whatever, and this is their celebration. So you come in there as a Christian, and you go, no, 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 wait a minute. Right, right. Yeah. This isn't right. Yeah. I don't serve that deity or that god. Not bowing to that. No, no, no. We just need you to just get, for, real quick, bow down. We're going to ask for a blessing from this deity. 
so that our trade guild will do really good. Can you just, can you just do that? No, 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 I can't. See, in other cities, you would offer incense to Caesar to say he is as God. And if you didn't, they'd lock your head off or burn, your, burn you at whatever. In this situation, your persecution wouldn't be death. But guess what would happen in Thyatira if you were a believer and you walk after Christ? They would say, well, fine, Mr. Carpenter. You're not a carpenter anymore. You're not part of our guild, so you better find yourself a new job. Because we don't want to anger the deity. He said, well, how does that affect me? Well, have you noticed in our culture that if you're a believer and you believe in a certain form that God has given to you, maybe today you believe that you don't you're all, the only banner you have is the bloodstained banner of Jesus Christ. And so let's say you believe in just traditional marriage. That let's say homosexuality is a sin to you. Do you think for a moment that's starting to affect business owners and things around this whole globe? And you'll have to make decisions and convictions and say, no, I don't align with that. Because I know what my Bible teaches. And if you're on the fence with this, dear loved one, I challenge you to open the Word of God from the beginning in Genesis all the way to Revelation and form your opinion after you've did much thought and prayer on what God's concept of this world sins. Let me read a little thing for you. One of my favorite authors and the Benedict Option. Don't want to bore you, but his name is Rod Drecker. And he writes in this little chapter of two pages kind of how the trade guild stuff will start to work in the not-too-distant future in America. The temptation to sell out to faith, burning incense to Caesar, for the sake of self-protection is by no means an abstract threat. We may not yet be at the point where Christians are forbidden to buy and sell in general without state approval, but we are on the brink of an entire areas of commercial and professional life being off-limits to believers whose consciences will not allow them to burn incense to the gods of our age. The workplace is getting tougher for Orthodox believers as America's commitment to religious liberty weakens. Progressives sneer at claims of anti-Christian discrimination or persecution. Don't you believe them? Most of the experts I've talked to on this topic spoke openly only after I promised them to withhold their identities. They're frightened that their words today might cost them their careers tomorrow. They're not paranoid. While Christians may not be persecuted for their faith per se, they are already being targeted when they stand for what their faith entails, especially in matters of sexuality. As the LGBT agenda advances, broad interpretation of anti-discrimination laws are going to push traditional Christians increasingly out of the marketplace and the corporate world will become hostile toward Christian bigots, considering them a danger in the working environment. The Human Rights Campaign Foundation, a powerful LGBT pressures group, publishes an annual corporate equity index. In its 2016 report, over half of the top 20 U.S. companies have a perfect score. To fail at score high is considered a serious problem within leading corporations. Among the criteria the foundation used in 2016 evaluations was the senior management executive performance measures, including LGBT diversity metrics. A company that wants to win the foundation's seal of approval will have to show that they create proof that it's advancing the LGBT agenda in the workplace. The ally phenomenon, straight people publicly declaring themselves to be supporters of LGBT agenda is one way companies can both demonstrate progress to gay rights campaigners as well as identify dissenters who may stand in the way of progress. I've talked to a number of Christians in fields as diverse as law, 
banking and education who face increasing pressure within their corporations or institutions to publicly declare themselves allies of the LGBT colleagues. In some instances, employees are given the opportunity to wear special badges advertising their allyship. Naturally, if one doesn't wear the badge, she is likely to face questions from co-workers, even shunners, shunning. These workers fear that this is soon going to serve as a de facto loyalty oath for Christian employees. And if they don't sign it, so to speak, it will mean the end of their jobs and possibly the end of their careers. To sign the oath, they believe, would be the modern equivalent of burning a pinch of incense before the statue of Caesar. Isn't that crazy? It will be impossible in most places to get licenses to work without affirming sexual diversity dogma. For example, in 2016, the American Bar Association voted an anti-harassment rule in its model code of conduct, one if adopted by state bars, would make simply discussing issues having to do with homosexuality, among other things, impossible without risking professional sanction, unless one takes the progressive side of the argument. Along those lines, it will be very difficult to have open dialogue in many workplaces without putting oneself in danger. One Christian professor in a secular university science facility declined to answer a question I had about the biology of homosexuality out of fear that anything he said, no matter how innocuous and fact-based, could get him brought up on charges within his university, as well as attacked by social media mobs. Everyone working for major corporations will be frog-marched through diversity and inclusion training and will face pressure not simply to tolerate LGBT co-workers, but to affirm their sexuality and gender identity. He said, we are all vulnerable to such target, he said. Neutrality, by the way. David Gush, a well-known evangelical ethicist who holds an aggressive, progressive stance on gay issues, published in a column in 2016, noted that the middle ground is fast disappearing on the question of whether discrimination against gays and lesbians for religious reasons should be tolerated. Neutrality is not an option, he wrote. Neither is polite half-acceptance, nor is avoiding the subject. Hide as you might. The issue will come and find you. Public school teachers, college professors, doctors, and lawyers will all face tremendous pressure to capitulate to the ideology as a condition of employment. Some psychologists and social workers and all the helping professions, of course, florists, photographers, bakers, and all businesses that are subject to public accommodations and law, Christians and students and their parents must take into careful consideration when deciding in the field to study in college. A nationally prominent, I want you to hear this, physician who is also a devout Christian tells me he discourages his children from following in his footsteps. Doctors now and in the near future will be dealing with issues related to sex, sexuality, gender identity, but also to abortion and euthanasia. Patient autonomy and non-discrimination are the principles that trump all conscious considerations and physicians are expected to fall in line. If they make compliance a matter of licensure, there will be nowhere to hide. And then what do you do if you're $300,000 in debt for medical school and have a family with three kids and a sick parent? Tough call because there aren't too many parishes or church communities who would jump in and help. In the past eras, religious minorities found themselves locked out of certain professions. In medieval times, for example, anti-Semitic um, Bigotry in Europe prevented Jews from participating in many trades and professions, shutting them off to do marginal work that Christians did not want to do. Jews entered banking, for example, because usury was considered sinful by medieval Christianity and was kept off limits to Christians. 
Similarly, Orthodox Christians in the emerging era will need to adopt an era of hostility. Blacklisting will be real. In Canada, the legal profession is trying to forbid law graduates of Trinity Western University, a private Christian liberal arts college, from practicing law. This to punish the school for being insufficiently progressive in LGBTQ community, uh, issues. Similarly, an LGBT activist called Campus Pride has put more than 100 Christian colleges on the shame list and called on business and industry not to hire their graduates. It is unwise to discount the influence of groups like this on corporate culture, and that in turn will have a devastating effect on Christian colleges. The challenges to Christian education, especially higher education, are about to be aggressive. One legal scholar says degrees from unaccredited universities or universities that can't place graduates or receive federal research dollars are of very low value. Does this mean that no Christian should go to medical school or law school or enroll in professional training in other fields? Not necessarily. It does mean, however, and this is where we're going to end, that Christians must not take for granted that within a given field, there will be no challenges to their faith so great that they will have to choose between Christianity and their careers. Many Christians will be compelled to make their living in ways that do not compromise their religious consciousness. This calls for prudence, boldness, vocational creativity, and social solidarity among believers. There's a lot of stuff in there. But it's very real. And we better come to grips with the fact that this battle isn't going away. And that we can't just live in some like alternate world as believers. Now we can't just pray, Lord, just come back, come back, come back. Make the bad things go away. Because it's not. We live in Babylon. And you might have to make choices in your career right now. And you might be thinking about it, things that you're going to have to do and manage and mitigate. Does it mean that we can't coexist with people with alternate views with us? Absolutely not. And working in industries, but if it does require that you endorse the activity that's going on and you, so to speak, bless it, knowing consciously that it's wrong, then you are in the wrong. And these trade guilds setting up these things for their blessing, the power broking that's going on right now, and the refusal to not just agree to disagree, folks, and politics and worldviews, we can all agree to disagree. We're all humans here. We're all adults. We can have differing views. But when the bottom line comes down to the Word of God, the Word of God is higher than any law that you can pass in this land. And you might have to pay a heavy price. And it's crazy that that doctor said he is pushing his kids away from the medical community because of autonomy, that because of his stance on abortion and euthanasia and sexual gender, all that kind of stuff, that they can't say, I can't practice that because that's against my code of conduct. They will lose their jobs. So that's what we face with our trade guilds in 2019. And you can laugh and you can scoff all you want. But you better read up on what the Bible speaks to these social issues that we face. I always say this. The social issues that the politicians are after, these are biblical issues. We have every right to speak to these. And the fact that the churches have gone quiet and gone silent and we've done the ostrich thing waiting for a rapture to happen, folks, that's not the answer the world needs. Let me ask you this in your faith. Are you getting a little watered down in your faith?
Are you getting a little watered down? Jesus declared this. He said, you, Thyatira, are permitting her to be in your church. You're permitting this. So it's all, it's no secret. People in here, people in here sin. People in here fall flat on their face. You can, that, that has nothing to do with sinners coming to Christ and people going through and backslidden. You have all those features. But the church was basically blessing it and endorsing it. And so in our faith today in Christ, we must look at ourselves in the mirror and say, God, is my faith getting watered down? What things are you permitting in your life right now to go unchecked? Let's turn real quick to 2 Timothy chapter 2. Verse 19. And by the way, don't go looking for fights. This isn't a go pick a fight message. This is a stand bold when things are confronted with you. The believer is not supposed to go pick fights and be foolish and be obnoxious. But we are to have doctrine in our life and we're to speak up when God calls us to speak up. 2 Timothy chapter 2 verses 19 through 21. But God's truth stands firm like a foundation stone with this inscription. The Lord knows those who are his. And all who belong to God must turn away from their evil. I think it's very important. He said all those who turn to God must turn away from their evil. All those who call themselves children of God must turn away from evil. The thing that's crept in our church, not our church, the church at large, is that we think we can just accept Christ and live how we want to live. And I don't know how that got in there. That kind of view of like you can create your own little picture of faith how you want. But that's never been the call of Christ. He said, when you come and follow me, I'm going to make you fishers of men. Pick up your cross and follow me, which is a, a dying to who we are. A dying to our habits and our ways of life and the way we live and our rhythm. Do you know God, when he comes into your life, I pray that you would pray, God, disrupt the rhythms and patterns and habits that I have in my life that are not of you. Amen. Disrupt the thinking that I have, even my own opinions. I don't care how opinionated I are about something. Everyone's opinionated about something on Facebook and they throw their opinion up and they haven't even thought two seconds about it. But Christ has us do this, to examine our lives. Turn real quick to 2 Corinthians 13. 2 Corinthians 13. How do we keep ourselves pure? The first thing I want you to write down is examine your life. Amen. Examine your life. Examine yourself. Examine your motives. Examine your habits. Examine what you're doing. Examine how you talk about people. Examine your feelings. Examine it all. Everything's on the table. When you come to Christ, your whole life's on the table. Not just the package that you give to Him. It's all His. 2 Corinthians 13.5 it says, examine yourselves to see if your faith is genuine. Test yourselves. Surely you know that Jesus Christ is among you. If not, you have failed the test of genuine faith. As you test yourselves, I hope that you will recognize that we have not failed the test of apostolic authority. In other words, they were preaching the word of God, the good news of Jesus Christ. That was their authority that God had blessed them with and given to them. But are you examining your ways? Or, or have we become... Too confident in ourselves and where we're going. A.W. Tozer writes, The difficulty we modern Christians face is not misunderstanding the Bible, 
but persuading our untamed hearts to accept its plain instructions. Isn't it funny when you argue someone, the instructions are right there, or kind of it's really clear, the communication's there. He said the hard part is not getting an understanding of the Bible. Our hard part is getting to the place where our untamed hearts accept its plain instructions. What we typically do, I'm human like everyone else, I'm a kid growing up before God, you know, I'll always be God's kid. I'm always going to be his son, so that means he has every right to discipline me and talk to me however he wants and whenever he wants, right? That's the sovereignty of God. He is sovereign Lord of all. So when, I, when he's speaking to me, many times my heart is untamed, but I'll say, but God, what about this? But what about that? What about this? What about that? He's like, I'm talking to you. In your untamed heart. Well, I don't get the Bible. I don't get this. I don't get that. Do you know what the Bible says? That God's laws are easy. They're easy to understand. The gospel is not difficult. You don't need a graduate degree. You can be the most illiterate person in the world, and you get it because you have God's Spirit in your heart. But it's hard. I don't understand. It's our untamed hearts to accept its plain instruction. He goes on to write, Christianity involves an acceptance and a reputation, an affirmation and a denial. And that is not only at the moment of conversion, but continually thereafter, day by day in the battle of life, Till the great conflict is over and the Christian is home from the wars. Do you know what's going to happen in your Christian faith? You're going to affirm God's word and you're going to deny as something that you used to be. You know, I was talking to Mike yesterday and I was actually talk, talking to him. And I said, man, the Steve of 1996 is not the same Steve in 2019. You know why? Because I've grown and I've matured. Even with the things of faith and the concepts that I kind of went out of bounds with, I said, you know what, this Steve that was over here is definitely not the same Steve that is over here. I was so immature. With the milk of God's word, and then when I said, man, give me the meat, and Paul would talk to the believers, and he would say, can't we get to the deeper things of Christ? Why do we have to sit around in this little area, this little shallow area? area that we're in. Why can't we go to the deeper things of Christ? And so the call for our church as we grow up and we mature, there are deeper things of God that God wants to have in your faith and in my faith. And He wants to correct us and teach us. But if you don't want that, you don't have to have it. You can live in your la-la land, act like nothing's going on, and God is saying, listen, there are things I want to speak to. Issues in your heart that you're holding on to. Sacred idols. Incense that you're burning up. Things that you're accepting of that I don't want you to accept. Things that you bless that I haven't blessed. Things that you agree with that I don't want you to agree with. And we thank the life of Christian faith as a life of ease and goodness and God just blesses us in all we do. No, what God does is He changes us, and through that we become blessed because we're walking hard after Him. But know this today, that as you start to hold on to God, and you hold on to His ways and His doctrines for your life, you will get made fun of, and you will go to the back of the bus. And you will be persecuted, because they hated Christ, they will also hate you. So the teaching we have in the American church is one of lovey-doveys, but not one of picking up your cross and following me. Next thing, after we start examining our life in this David prayer, and I pray this prayer over my life, 
Lord, examine my deep thoughts. Examine the motives and the thoughts and the intentions of my life. God, see if there is any wicked way in this heart of mine. And you know, isn't it interesting, as you pray those kind of prayers, you'll find something. You'll find something. You know, no matter how much I clean my garage, there's always something else in there that needs to get thrown away. You know, that's true. And in our life, it's not that we're in a constant barrage of whipping ourselves in the back. See, we have this religious personification of, well, I just got to keep whipping myself. I can't have fun. No. The, at, at God's right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. It's a joyful time. After a season of repentance, the Bible says that there's refreshing. But if there's no repentance, there can't be any refreshing. So after we get done with the examination, and the doctor goes, okay, dot, 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 this is great. This is what's going on in your life. This is what needs to change a little bit. You know, no one gets mad at a doctor for saying your cholesterol is a little high. You're going to need to take this medicine. Why don't people get more mad at doctors? I mean, you should just charge out the way we treat church. Pastor talked about this issue, and I'm not going to that church anymore. He said that. I'm offensive sometimes. Like, I'm going to go find a different place. That's how we're in church. But if we put the examination stuff and allow the Lord to examine our hearts, we get offended. No, you should say, we want to fix this. I want you better. I want your life more improved. Here's what's happening. We have a clogged artery over here. This habit is developing. We see this. He's not correcting this church because he wants to smash them. He's correcting this church because he loves them. I want our church to be willing vessels to say, God, examine me. Examine my life. Next thing that happens when you start to get examination is you start to have imitation. Our gospel, Paul declared, said, came not to you simply with words, but power and demonstration. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and the Lord. He also went on to say one of the craziest prayers. Can you imagine saying this to people around you? Follow me. As I follow Christ. Can you say that to the people around you? Follow me. You see how we were around you. You see how we acted. You saw our conduct. You saw our conviction. Let me tell you something. Paul was preaching against the very same social issues that were going on in their day. Same junk. Same the world and how it dealt with sexuality and sex and sin. And it's so sad that the church doesn't even address this issue and teach, biblically speaking, how God honors the sexually pure and those that will be chased and go after God and say, you know what, I have a plan and a place for that, but not in that kind of context. Amen. Amen. You can't just live how you want to in the house of God. You can't just do your thing. If you and I are followers today, let us fall in love with him over and over and over. Let our prayers become hot like fire. Let us grow from strength to strength to become more and more like Christ. Let me ask you this. Are true Christians hard to find? I think they are. I think true Christians are hard to find. I don't think they come a dime a dozen. If it were true, Jesus said many are chosen or many are called, but what? 
few are chosen. Broad is the way of destruction, but narrow is the... I mean, it's not like it's this huge group of people. You know, you think about polls in America and the people who say, well, they're evangelical. I don't care if you're evangelical or what. That doesn't mean nothing to me. Do you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? That's the question. Are you born again? Then you become a wacky person. Haven't we made this Christian faith complicated? Turn real quick and let's see what Jesus said about the Christian faith and walking with him. Matthew 7. Walking with Christ is simple. Not complicated. Religion makes it complicated. Jesus said himself, not everyone can get to heaven on their own way, in their own path, in their own enlightenment, in their own self-awareness. Nowhere in scripture do we see that. And Jesus himself even combats that. You can enter God's kingdom only through this narrow gate, the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad and the gate is wide for many who choose that way. But for the gateway to life is very narrow and the road is difficult and only a few ever find it. And here's the crazy thing. He goes to continue, beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep, but are really vicious wolves. You can identify them by their what? That is, by the way they act. Can you pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? A good tree produces good fruit, and a bad tree produces bad fruit. Is that hard? I mean, really, is it hard? And so in our life, as we examine and as we intimate, or intimate God in who He is, then what will start to happen in our life is we will start to produce good fruit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, self-control, all these kind of things, right? That's the fruit of the Spirit. And so if we don't have that fruit being developed in our life, it's going to be pretty hard to say, well, that's a believer. <laughs> that's not a believer. And Jesus said you'll know them by their fruit. So if they're not producing fruit, either one of two things, they're backslidden, or they don't know Christ. Thyatira got compromising in its faith. Byron, uh, Brian Lourdes writes, Our Christian culture has tried to create a pinch third alternative, which has wrecked havoc on the church. This third way pretty much says, Do whatever makes you happy, show up to church, Say a few prayers, read the Bible occasionally, and Jesus will help you pull off Project You. That's the third alternative. That's what the evangelical church in America has done. We have decided to say, as opposed to saying, you walk after God and be crucified, and you die to that junk going on that was in your past and your life, those opinions, those motivations, those thoughts. We have said, you know what? Do whatever you want. Pray a little bit. Read the Bible a little bit. Devil could care less about that kind of believer. They're not doing any damage. Wonderfully brought about the kindness of God. I think there's an amazing thing that happens. We have made being a believer whatever you feel is good for you and whatever you want your standards to be. Brian Lourdes writes, Repentance, by the way, is a progressive dissonancing between myself and sin. Wonderfully brought about by the kindness of God. 
You know, the Bible says that it's the goodness of God that leads men to repentance. You know, when he was dealing with all those people, dealing with sin, and dealing with problems and issues, the woman who was caught uh, in adultery, they were going to stone her, the woman who brought the perfume to the, his feet, and he's like, didn't you know what kind of woman that is that's touching you? All of them experienced the kindness of God. So my prayer is that to whom much has sinned, much is forgiven. And so when they've sinned much, they also will love much. We get to the point in our life where we say, God, repentance is me distancing myself from sin. That's a belief, that's a true believer. Does it mean you won't have struggles and wrestle with things? Amen. What it does mean is that you get to a place where you're further distancing yourself from the thoughts and the plans and intents of the world. Jesus declares this in Revelation 2.23, I will strike for dead. Then all the churches will know that I am the one who searches the thoughts and intentions of every person. Sandra, if you wanted to come up here and start playing. That word intentions, by the way, he is the one who searches thoughts and intentions. From the root word to quiver or to palpitate, it's the seat of one's personal life, both spiritual and physical life. The center of one's entire moral activity. It's the seat of feelings and desires, joy and pain and love. It is also the center for thought and understanding and will. The omniscient Lord sees the innermost being where all decisions concerning him are made. Folks, the intentions there is the seat of our heart. And it's the place where God looks at. You remember that verse of scripture that says, Man looks at the outward appearance, but it is God who looks at the heart. Remember when Samuel brought, you know, uh, David's dad brought his sons. No, no, you want this one. No, this is a good son. He's like, no, 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 that's not the one. He brings the next one. No, 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 you want this one. Look at him. He's strapping. He's handsome. Can you imagine how David must have felt? You know, he's like, wait, wait, do you have one more son? Oh, David. Yeah, David. See, God looks at the heart. See, David might have been insignificant to man, but he definitely wasn't insignificant to God. And this message isn't about throwing away people and setting up a, a barrier wall between you and people. We want to make sure that those evil people, we never see them ever. That's not what that is. I didn't say that today. What I am saying is if you are a conscious Christian and you're reading the Word of God, your life, your patterns, and your opinions will be produced not out of some Facebook page or some news feed. It will come from the Word of God. I don't care what statistic or what category or who endorses what. I always go back to what does God's Word say? Call me a bigot. Call me whatever you want. But the Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Amen. And we come to Christ with whatever sins it is. And what other passions we were going after. We'd say, God, I don't know how I've been feeling. My feelings haven't been right. My joy hasn't been there. Nothing. But God goes after us. Amen. And I had a little prayer that I wanted to pray. Because I want to look at you today. Some of you may have lost the gaze upon the Lord. And you're going to get it back today. Some of you today have lost the breath of God that you used to breathe back and forth. He breathes out and you breathe in. Some of you have lost that soft heart. Your heart's gotten hardened. You've gotten cold. You've become calculated and callous in your faith. And you're really not soft and pliable anymore. 
And some of you have lost your joy, your smile. What a beautiful thing it is to see someone who is filled with the joy of the Lord. The joy of the Lord is their strength. Amen. He said this, he ends with this. Christ says, to those of you who haven't followed the teaching of Satan, and that's the deeper things of Satan that this church had grabbed onto, he said, I ask nothing more of you except that you hold tightly to what you have until I come to, and he said, to all who are victorious, who obey me to the very end. He said, I will give them authority over the nations. I will give them the morning star, Jesus. To the end, folks, it's not how you begin the journey, it's how you end it. There's a lot of people out of the gate, you see them and you're like, man, they're going good, look at them, they're, just, they're going fast. And all of a sudden, as that race continues, they go back and back and back and back and back. It's how you end this race. So I don't care how you've done the race, I don't care what your thoughts and feelings are about issues in America and politics, I really don't. But you better ask yourself, does this line up with the word of God? And if it doesn't, you have got some issues to work through with God. Amen. And I pray that you close yourself in a closet and say, God, reveal to me. God, pastor said something, and I'm not sure about what do I do with this, and allow God's word to say it. I'm not some big leader and tell you thus say the Lord on all of this. God's word does plenty of that. Let's close our eyes for a moment and allow God to speak to us as we allow God to examine our hearts and we imitate him. And we go from glory to glory. First things first today. Maybe you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, and today you came here. Maybe you've got a lot of rich religious heritage in you, but you don't know Christ as your Savior and Lord. And you say, today I'm asking Christ into my heart to change my life. That prayer of faith, God says he will hear. And he will set up his throne in your life, and he becomes King Jesus to you. He becomes the friend that sits closer to brother. Maybe you don't know him as a friend. You've had this and that. You've run to this and that. But you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. If that's you today, with every head bowed and every eye closed, you say, you know what? I want Christ as my Savior right now in my life to free me from the sin and the junk that I've been living in. If that's you, raise your hand. Next thing is this. Dear believer, we, when we look at Thyatira and the compromise, maybe you've started doing some compromises and there's been some compromising things in your mind and in your heart. God is looking at our thoughts and intentions. He's looking at the seat of our hearts to say, are you going after me? Are you letting go of that stuff and those sins? You can't live that way anymore. Our thoughts and opinions and actions, they come out. And God speaks to them. Today, if you say, that's me, and there's been some compromise in my life, and I want God to work in my heart. I'm coming back to those things. I need the smile back. I need my heart to be softened. I, I need his eyes back. I need those ears back so I can hear. Whatever it may be, you say, I'm coming back. I want to go hot on fire for Jesus Christ in my life. I've gone kind of that third option of just kind of, Picking and parceling through, but really not going after Christ. If that's you, would you raise your hand today? I want to pray with you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Father, your presence is here. 
If you can do this, would you do this with me, all of us? Do you mind kneeling in front of your chair with me, will you? I'm going to kneel here. Maybe you want to come to the altar and kneel here. But God is speaking to you today, and as an act of just obedience to him, can we just kneel together before the Lord and allow God to speak to us and say, God, you are King Jesus, and today I am kneeling before you. If you can, I understand. church, we're in a hurry, and we're in America, and we got to run to things. But as God speaks to our church, God says, when repentance comes, which is a gift from God in the first place, so if God has pricked your heart today about something, be thankful, because he is speaking to you. He disciplines those whom he loves. Forgive us for allowing things to sit in our life. We become indifferent to things. And we don't allow change in our hearts first. We want other things to change and other people to change. But we say today, God, change me. Change us. And may this heart, may this church be a church, Father, where the rivers of refreshing come. Because we're a repentant church. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Give us new minds. You put the mind of Christ on today, Father, concerning things in our heart and our minds. Yes, Lord. We strip off every weight and sin that so easily entangles. Yes, Lord. We kneel before the throne room of grace and thank you, God, today that again we come boldly as a church. And may this church, Father, be people that don't permit these things to go on in our life. Yes, Lord. And may we, if we have to, correct brothers and sisters in Christ to do so in love. Yes, Lord. May we come alongside people, Father, hearing what's going on in their life, but also giving them the truth that they so desperately need to hear. Yes. And may we also be those who are willing to receive from those who would speak to us. We kneel before you today, God, thanking you for loving us in spite of us. That you first loved us. We didn't come to you deserving anything. You came to us and you picked us up. And you rescue us today. We love you, Father. We are thankful, Lord Jesus, for changing minds and changing hearts. And may we be the church, Father, that holds on to the end. Yes, Lord. That we hold on. Yes, Lord. Things might be going crazy around us, and we might be surrounded on this side and that side. But, Lord, I thank you beyond that, Lord Jesus, that you surround our enemy. 
And that those who are with us are far greater than those who are against us. So today we battle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. And help us, God, to know where our battle is, so that when we fight and when we speak, we speak life. Yes, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. That's kind of difficult getting on our knees, isn't it? Folks, thank you for uh, joining me in this. And uh, we got a few more churches left to go. <laughs> and uh, they're not all like this. I don't like having these conversations. I really don't. I, I, I wanted to have, I wanted to throw t-shirts at you guys today, but it didn't happen. But I know it's the family of God, and I know you guys will be introspective this week, that you guys will look at God's Word and rightly divide God's Word, that you will dive into these things and these issues that we're faced with every day and surrounded by and understand and come to the conclusion of what Scripture speaks to this. Why? Because we're choosing to mature in the Lord. Amen? Let me pray and we'll uh, go off. Lord, I thank you today for our family. And I thank you, God, that we can join you. I thank you for all the saints here today as we knelt before your altar. What a beautiful place and time if this is a house of prayer. And the fervency that you had for your father's house was it was to be a house of prayer. Father, we love you. And we thank you for encouraging us and for speaking into our life and saying, get things right and change this because you long for us to have that vibrant life that you give to us. We thank you for the grace and the courage and the mercy that we have. We have missteps. Lord, when we stumble, we don't fall because you pick us up. And we thank you for that. I bless all the families in here today. God, may our ears be open and may the eyes of our understanding be open as we divide your word, as we devour your word and not the opinions of man. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people say, Amen. God bless you, Dave. Really good. I love you guys so much.